Good morning, community of faith. You look good today, and uh, so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. This is, this is an all-skate opportunity, okay? So everybody, um, I'm inviting you to participate in something. I'm gonna ask you to take your phone out. And uh, go ahead and pull that out. You're like, I didn't bring my phone. Don't lie. You're at church. Here's what I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you to do two things. First thing I want you to do is I want you to take a selfie. And some of you are like, I've never taken a selfie before. You've got permission. You don't have to take the selfie, but I would like for you to do the second thing. If you take a selfie, save that picture. When you get done today, you're on your way home, post it and say, my pastor at COF, one of the, one of the staff leaders at Community Faith told me that I looked good and I need the world to see me because he said I look good, okay? So um, you have my permission to do that. Uh, the second thing I want you to do, and this is actually more important than anything I just said, but you do look good. But I want you to consider this. We say this all the time. The best version of you exists in community with other people, specifically people who love you and love God. And I believe that's what this place is. And so I'm gonna ask you to text best you to 97000. And after that, you don't have to do anything, but you're gonna receive a link when you do that. And the reason I'm asking you to do that collectively, every single one of us, even if you have no intention of clicking on that link, is because I, I believe that at some point while we're spending the rest of our time together today, that there may be some steps that God is calling you to take. And I know that sitting in a room like this, wondering who's looking over your shoulder, who's checking things out, who's watching what you're doing, there may be some anxiety of saying, I'm not sure I wanna take this step, or if I pull my phone out and text best you to 97,000, then people are gonna think that something's wrong with me. And the reality is, is there's something wrong with every single one of us, and I'm the champion of everything being wrong with someone, okay? So I'm just making you feel a little more comfortable. But I want you to be comfortable in doing that, and clicking on that link, and clicking on that connection card, because there's some next steps that I believe every single one of us are supposed to take, to take it in the context of community with other people. So maybe you don't have that next step, but by you texting and everybody participating in this, it makes it easier for the people maybe sitting around you to, to do what God is calling them to do today. And so uh, I appreciate you stepping through that. We're gonna take communion at the end of the day, but I wanna set up our time, the rest of the time that we have together today with, with this. I, I got to get away a little bit last week and got to go on a a vacation with my wife and my kids and a bunch of friends. We, we, it was kind of a vacation. My son plays baseball and it was a travel baseball tournament. And so we sat and watched baseball a lot. And then, um, but we spent some time at the beach as well, but it was a good time just to disconnect. Well, on the way home, everybody's exhausted, which means dad drives all the way home and everybody else was asleep. And we were driving home from Orange Beach, Alabama, and we're driving down I-10, which if uh, you need something to challenge your faith in the near future, just take a trip down I-10 heading east and then try to come back. It's ridiculous, traffic is crazy. I, I still don't understand why the tunnel in Mobile hasn't been addressed. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, it's terrible. We're on our way back home and we're coming through Baton Rouge, which I pray for the people in Baton Rouge a lot um, because I'm not an LSU fan, but I know a lot of you are. But I'm getting towards the bridge. And if you've been down I-10 in Baton Rouge, you know there's the massive bridge that goes over the Mississippi River. And not really paying a whole lot of attention, I'm driving, I'm focusing on the road. And right as I get, there's this curve in the road. We're coming back to Houston and there's an on-ramp and this van, it was actually a taxi van, Pretty sure they had a Dallas Cowboys sticker on the back. It had to, it had to be Cowboys. Um, they pull over, but you're, you're clapping because you're proud of being a Cowboys fan. But just listen, um, this van comes into the, the three lanes of traffic and he's going like 25 miles an hour. And I was obviously going the speed limit because I never go over the speed limit. I'm driving in the fast lane and he comes all the way over in front of me, going 25 miles an hour, and I lock it down. I slam on the brakes. It was one of those moments where you hit the brakes and everything in the car ends up in the front seat. It was that moment. 
and it was instant panic in my, in, my, in my car. My boys wake up, my wife wakes up, super calm, collective. And listen, I love my wife. She is the perfect person for me. I'm not sure that she can say the same about me for her, but she is perfect for me. So I'm, I'm crazy about her. I love doing life with my wife. But we have these moments in the car sometimes. We're both firstborn control freaks. And so as I slam on the brakes, everything flies forward. This guy drives off and our car loses power. On I-10, traffic flying by, people telling me that I am number one. I saw the state bird of New Jersey multiple times. I can't go. And we're going uphill on a bridge and there's no shoulder. And my wife is telling me what to do. I don't know if your wife ever does that or your spouse ever does that to you, but she's telling me what to do. And so I, I, I listen, of course, like I always do and get over to the far lane turn on my hazards and there's no power. And I look down in the, in the notification, she, she has a Ford Expedition with one of those turn knob um, gear shifts. I think that's what it's called. I'm clearly not a mechanic. And um, it's blinking and it says, gears will shift, shift will take place at a lower speed. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? I can't go, people are flying by me 80 miles an hour. Finally, we come to a stop and it's in reverse. See what happened was there was a phone sitting, her phone, um, I wanna clear it, clarify that. Her phone was sitting on the armrest. And when I slammed on the brakes to save the life of my family, the phone at a high impact hit the dial and turned it to reverse. So I lost power. There was a moment of panic. We get over, I put it in drive and then we take off and everything is good. And then my wife asked me, she goes, <laughs> she said, why didn't you honk at him? I was like, well, because I was trying to save your life. And Part two of that is I've done that before. And then I pulled into the church parking lot and the person that I honked at pulled in next to me and said, hey, pastor, how's it going? And that was really awkward. So I just leave the horn alone. But here's what's interesting. Here's why I tell you that story. There are times where we are driving down the road and I will sarcastically say to my wife as she encourages me in how to drive properly, I will say to her, you know, it's amazing that I can drive all these years without you in the car and I've never gotten into any crazy trouble. I'm so thankful that you're here to encourage me. And I said that to her one time with all sarcasm because I have that spiritual gift. She looks at me and she says, you're just lucky I don't say everything I really am saying in my head to you right now. <laughs> now that's a ridiculous story and we needed to laugh a little bit today. But the reason I tell you that story is because there are times in our lives where everything is going great. Everything is, is good. And then all of a sudden, something unexpected happens. And sometimes it leads to panic, confusion, chaos, and we begin to doubt the ability of the one who's in charge, the one who's in control. And we begin to think, well, maybe if I was in control, things would work out better. We would be safer. We would be more secure. And that's a ridiculous thing between my wife and I. It's like this home rivalry that we have. But I think in our relationship spiritually with our heavenly father, we run into the same issue. Life happens, and when life happens, Oftentimes it's unexpected. And so as we continue our series today through some of the stories of the Old Testament, specifically looking at the story of Joshua today, I want us to look at what do we do when life is unexpected, when things happen that we didn't anticipate were going to happen, are we going to trust the plan that God wants for us in that chaos? Or are we going to choose to say, hey, you know what, God, you can take a vacation. I'm gonna step into control right now because I think the way that I navigate this situation is maybe a little bit better than the way that you want me to navigate it. So I'm gonna take 
over the reins in this situation. It's a tension that we all struggle with. And we see this happen in the book of Joshua. Joshua is my favorite character in all of the Bible except for Jesus. Um, and I, I love studying. And, I, and in fact, some of you, if you've paid really close attention over the last couple of years, I taught from this passage exactly a year ago. But I wanna go back to it because I think there's something here that I'm not sure I saw as clearly as I see today. And so I want us to look at the story because we see four characteristics in the life of Joshua that I think we can adapt to in our own lives of trusting God's plan when we feel defeated, when we feel overwhelmed, ultimately coming to a realization that God's plan is greater. What would it look like for us to live that out regardless of the situation? And so we, we get into the book of Joshua. Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land. They've been set free from captivity in Egypt. Moses led them out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness for years and years and years. And finally, Moses passes away, does not get to lead the Israelites into the promised land, but he basically transfers power to Joshua, leadership to Joshua. And Joshua begins to lead the Israelites, God's chosen people, into the promised land. But he tells them there's gonna be battles. And so we read about the first battle and we hear about the Battle of Jericho, which when I was singing that last song this morning, I mean, good grief, that song was wrecking me. I don't know if it was that way for you, but just reflecting on even the Battle of Jericho, God instructs Joseph, or not Joseph, Joshua, to this crazy battle plan. They march around the city uh, with all the musicians at the front and they're shouting and they're worshiping. They're not using uh, power or might to win the victory over the city. It's totally God's plan because God's plan is greater and the walls fall, and they have victory, and they're celebrating this victory. And we read in Joshua 6, at the end of that chapter, we see that, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was on all the land. So this is like an epic moment. They are experiencing victory. Everything is good. And then just a few verses later, look what it says in chapter 7. Then the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck, down, struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. I mean, they're overwhelmed. All of a sudden, everything stops. Everything was going good. Everything was great. They were, they were experiencing victory. God had led them to victory. They had done what God had told them to do. They experienced victory in the battle of Jericho, and it continues on in verse six. Then Joshua, I mean, they are, they are devastated. They won this victory in Jericho. They've gone on to fight the next battle, and they are defeated quickly. Joshua's confused. He doesn't understand. It says, Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face. It's just this picture of complete devastation. Joshua's thinking, man, I, I did everything you told me to do, God. Like, every single thing and you came through. And then we go to this next battle and everybody was confident in you. Everybody was confident in me leading them into this battle and we've been defeated. So he falls on his face in devastation, feels like, man, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? God, what are you doing? What, did you mess up? Did you get this wrong? He's confused and he falls on his face. And it's important for us to think about what that looks like before the ark of the Lord until the evening. Both he and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. It continues on in verse seven. It says, Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan? I mean, he's questioning God's ways right now. He's saying, God, I'm not sure your plan was all that I thought it was going to be. He's like, you could have just left us where we were. I think we might've been better, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. 
If only we'd been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. I mean, he's, he just doesn't get it. Continues on. Oh, Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? I mean, he's, he's got no answers. People are looking to him for answers. He's the leader and he has, he has no answers. He doesn't know what to say. So he goes to God, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and they will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And this is an important verse. We're gonna come back to this at the very end. And what will you do for your great name? You kind of see some of the purpose in what Joshua is expressing here. I think we can take a lot of cues from Joshua in this story because I think we've all been there. I think this story is for those that maybe have never been able to truly trust God with their entire lives. And I think it's also for those that maybe you've stepped into a relationship with Jesus at some point and you're in a place now where you're wrestling with that. You're like, man, I thought the plan in trusting Jesus with everything in my life was gonna be good, but it doesn't feel good. There's been the, that, that diagnosis maybe that, that you didn't expect, you never saw coming. I remember in 2018, early part of 2018, my wife and I were coming back from far west Texas and I remember talking through like, what was this year gonna be for us? And the word health came to her mind. She's like, I just want this to be the year of health for us, good health, physically, spiritually, emotionally, in our family, relationships, everything. We, we wanted to focus on health. And just a couple weeks later, we find out that she has cancer and we're like, what, what, what in the world? Just a complete stop, a complete pause face to the ground, devastation, not sure. God, what are you doing in this? This isn't what we anticipated. Have you ever been there? It was a relationship that ended that you thought would never end. What do we do? And I think we see really quickly these four things in Joshua's life. We see how Joshua in a time of defeat, frustration, we see Joshua do some things to rise up and still continue to trust the plan that God has for him and for those that he's close to. And the first thing we see in the story is Joshua's perspective. We can learn from Joshua here. Joshua has a unique perspective. It's interesting, in his devastation, the first thing he does is he goes to God. And I'll just be honest, that's not always my first reaction when things don't go well. But you see Joshua immediately fall on his face before the Lord and he begins to cry out, to him, and I think it's pointing us to what God wants us to see in his interaction, in this encounter that he has with Joshua. And Joshua speaks, he's emotional, he's angry. I mean, we all have those moments where there's the outburst, we don't see clearly, we don't think clearly, we just start to express ourselves. Listen, God can handle that. If that's where you are, you can, you can, you can say those things to God. He can handle it, he's strong enough. We see Joshua do this, and then we see God's response to Joshua, all about perspective. Look what it says in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, rise up. And there's an exclamation mark there. This, is, this isn't just some little passive like, hey, Joshua, I think you might need to get up. Your knees are getting dirty. You're getting your clothes dirty. This is a rise up. Joshua, stand up, get on your feet. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Well, God knows why he's fallen on his face, but he's challenging him to rise up. He recognizes Joshua's not thinking clearly. He's not seeing clearly. He's got his face to the ground. And if you're looking at the ground, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize you're not gonna see very much looking at the ground. Joshua is in this place and God is saying, Joshua, I need you to stand up. I need you to see the situation a little bit more clearly. Remember the big picture here of everything that's going on, of the promises that I have for you and for my people. Rise up, because as he begins to rise up, he'll be able to see a little bit more clearly. 
When I was growing up in far west Texas, my dad used to uh, work out on this ranch once a week, every week for basically, basically my entire life. And so when I was about 12 years old, maybe even a little bit younger, he started to teach us how to drive. And it started off when he would put us on his lap and he would operate the gas and the brake, but as we're driving, he would put us behind the wheel and he would start to teach us. And one of the first things he ever taught us is he said, when you're driving, make sure you're not staying focused on everything right in front of us. He said, don't look at everything close. You wanna look into the distance. You wanna see what's coming up. Because what happens is, is if we focus on everything right in front of us, we have no reaction time. We're slow to adjust. We can't see some of the things that are coming up in front of us. And I think in our lives, there are times where things feel a little bit like a roller coaster. And we can get so focused on the, the moment, the instance, the, the, the moment or sense of insecurity or doubt or confusion. And God is telling us through this passage, like he told Joshua, hey, raise your eyes up, look further ahead. There's something I want you to see. There's something I want you to remember. I used to ride bicycles a lot, all the time. I've told you stories about that before. But it's interesting on a bike, maybe even more so than a car, if you're riding a bike and you get fixed on an obstacle, if you keep your eyes fixed on the obstacle that's ahead of you, you will actually begin to drift towards that obstacle. So if you're riding a bicycle, you wanna stay focused on the path that you can take to avoid the obstacle. It's called target lock. And so it's something that I think we can also pay attention to as Josh was thinking about this. I think this is what God is wanting him to see. Sometimes we can become so locked in on the obstacles that we actually begin to drift further towards the obstacle. We find ourselves in a dangerous place. And so God is trying to call us out. He's saying, control your eyes and you'll be able to control your direction. Change your perspective. You need to see a little bit more clearly. I know this is overwhelming. I know this is difficult. But what would it look like to, to see further ahead? Because Joshua was being led into the promised land and he had been promised that there were gonna be battles. There were gonna be tough days, but God had promised the land for them. And God is not just a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. So he's saying, Joshua, I need you to rise up. I need you to think a little bit more clearly into this. I need you to see this more clearly so that you can respond. And over and over and over in the book of Joshua, you see Joshua go through similar instances staying locked into the greater perspective so that he's not completely consumed with what's going on in front of him. You see this happen in this story. And it leads us to the second thing we see in Joshua's life. And it's this, it's loyalty. Because his perspective, he has this moment where he cries out to God, but then God begins to respond. But you see this loyalty throughout the book of Joshua. Joshua, God's plan is Joshua's plan. God's agenda is Joshua's agenda. He followed the instructions the exact way he was supposed to in the battle of Jericho. And so you see this loyalty, you see this commitment that Joshua has to his God, to his Lord God. You see that in throughout the text, he's calling God Lord God, not just God, Lord God, he's saying, God, you call the shots, your ways or my ways. If you say, do this, I'll do that. If you say, go here, I'll go there. I'm listening up. I want to follow and trust you. But that's not the same as what we see in the life of another man that's with Joshua named Achan. Look what God responds. Look how he responds after he says, hey, Joshua, you gotta get up. You gotta fix your eyes. You gotta see, you gotta look out ahead. Look what he says in verse 11. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've messed up. If you go back and you read in Joshua chapter six, you find that God specifically instructed Joshua to tell the people, and Joshua did just as God instructed. 
He tells the people, you're not to take anything of the plunder from the city of Jericho for yourselves. He says, all the gold, all the silver, all the things of value will belong to the Lord. This is the first battle. This is the first victory. And they find that there are things of value and God instructs them to say, hey, you need to return that back to the Lord. It's not yours. It's not yours to have. And so here he's uncovering for Joshua because Joshua's loyal and he's committed and he runs to God. He begins to uncover to Joshua the reason for the defeat. He says, they, they've broken the covenant which I made. I told them not to keep some of these things. It says, they have eaten, they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have stolen and both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. He's saying they took these things and they are now hiding them for themselves. Continues on, it says, therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Continues on, rise up, there it is again. Maintain this perspective, Joshua, rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. What an interesting story. But I think it's interesting that God begins to clearly tell Joshua once again, this is what you need to do. And it's an opportunity for Joshua to continue to trust God's plan for his life. The irony is that there's a guy named Achan and Achan hasn't done the same thing. He hasn't trusted God's plan for his life. He's lost his confidence in God's plan and he's decided to trust his own plan. And because Achan's lack of trust He's taken the things that God banned the Israelites from taking and he's taking them on for himself. God says, do not take this. You know, oftentimes I think when we read scripture and we read some of the commands and some of the things that God is calling us to live by, we read things like do not do this or do not take that or do not participate in this. We begin to think, well, God's holding out on me. God's trying to rob me of things that are good. But I think there's value in any time we read when God says, do not do not go, do not take, do not participate. He's not saying just do not. He's saying, I don't want you to hurt yourself because God recognizes that every single one of us wrestle with a brokenness and an insecurity. At times when things get a little bit chaotic and we begin to feel like maybe the foundation's a little shifty, we begin to take control. We begin to live out our own plans. We begin to take some things and try to find our own security, our own worth, our own value, our own prestige, our own fame. I think this was the trap that Achan falls into. God knows that we have a tendency for this, so he commands the people. He says, right out of the gate, guys, listen, you're gonna win, and there's gonna be a lot of things of value, good things, but return them to me. Those are mine. Those aren't for you. There will be more for you, but this first, it's an opportunity to trust God's plan in their life. Achan doesn't do this. You know, Joshua it's Lord God. To Achan, it's just God. There's this lack of trust. There's this lack of commitment. And I think it forces us to ask the question, is God primary or is God secondary in your life? Because if God is primary, then when you think about your relationship with your heavenly father, when he's primary in your life, you're saying 
God, I trust you with everything. You call the shots in my life. Even if I don't understand it, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting your plan because your plan is greater for my life. Sometimes we fall into the trap where God becomes secondary. He becomes more like a spare tire or something that sits on the shelf in our home. He's our personal assistant. He's He's an addition to our life. When we need a rescue plan, when we're overwhelmed with anxiety, we can call on him to step in and remedy the situation. We're hopeful that one day he'll escort us to a safe place when, after we've taken our last breath on this earth. But that's not what God ultimately wants for us. He wants those things for us, but he wants so much more. He wants us to completely trust him, to allow him to command our every single move. I was thinking about this this week and I was just thinking through, what does this look like for us? What, what, what does this really mean for us today? I want you to consider the question, what if the harm isn't the action itself? When God is calling us not to do something or calling us to do something specific and we're, we're wrestling with whether or not to do and take that step, what if the harm isn't the action itself, but the fact that it drives God's presence from that area of your life? What if it's not the action that's actually destructive? but it's the fact that it removes the presence of God, the blessing of God from that specific area of your life. I'll talk about one that doesn't make anybody uncomfortable. Let's just talk about finances. I say that because it makes me incredibly comfortable, uncomfortable. Not just to talk about it, but to wrestle with that tension in my own life. You know, I've given back to God. I've tithed to God pretty consistently over the last 20 years or so. Do you know there's still seasons where I wrestle with that, I struggle with it, and I think, you know what, this month, I think this month I'll be, God understands, I'll just, I'll hang on to this myself. What if when I do that, I'm removing God's blessing, God's presence from the financial area of my life? All of a sudden, I've run from his provision, and so in other words, I've lost his protection over my finances. It's a dangerous place to be. So over the last couple of years, even I've decided that it needs to be something that I don't even have to wrestle with as much. And I used to feel really uncomfortable about recurring giving. And like, Wes, this is just kind of a pitch to, to get us to give you money at Community Faith. And listen, it's not that at all. I wrestled with recurring giving for a couple of years and finally decided to start doing that. And the reason was, it wasn't because, so I could forget about giving. The reason was, it's because it took away that moment of temptation every single month to say, you know what? I, I'm not gonna trust God this month and I'm gonna hang on to this because I could do so much with this amount of money. But by setting up that recurring giving where every single month it's just, I, I'm gonna give that back. I'm taking that back to God. I'm allowing God to have that so that I can continue to recognize my trust isn't in my abilities. It's not in my finances. It is in my heavenly father and in him alone. Aiken struggled to believe this. What area is it for you? Is it work? Maybe some decisions that you've been making at work that you know aren't God's uh, direction, God's plan for your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Trusting your plan in the relationship for the person that maybe you're with, instead of trusting God's plan and God's provision in that relationship, what if you're removing the presence and the power of God in that relationship because of your disobedience to trust him and to trust his plans for you in that relationship? Maybe it's with your kids. Scripture tells us over and over to raise them up in the ways that they should go. Joshua later in his book says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's nothing passive about that. It's a charge to be intentional 
to raise up our children, understanding the truth of God himself. But man, we wrestle with this tension of really trusting him. God, I'm not sure that I, I trust you because I'm not sure that I do enough in my fathering of my kids, being the dad that you've called me to be in the life of my kids. We've wrestled with that even this week, my wife and I. Cell phones, social media. I've got a kid that's about to be in middle school and now we're wrestling with this. Like, when do we let him have social media? When do we let him use some of the things on a cell phone that I'm just not comfortable with? And the most common response is, well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else has it. I'm like, yeah, but am I gonna let everybody else dictate the plans for my life? Like, am I gonna let God, who understands all things in this world, to dictate the decisions that I make in my life? That's a difficult thing to navigate, but I want his protection. I want his presence. I want his blessing in the life of my kids, so I don't wanna be passive about it. I don't wanna just hope that it all turns out okay, that they find the way that works best for them. I wanna lead them in the direction that I know confidently is the best direction, that is the greatest plan for their life. There's a loyalty that we see with Joshua that we don't see with Achan, and it's devastating. Joshua is led to do something incredibly difficult, and we find this in the third thing. It's simply this, ambition. We've got perspective, we've got loyalty, and then we see this unique, humble ambition in the life of Joshua. Joshua had this drive in him. There was nothing, nothing passive about the life of Joshua. He was bold, he was strong, he was courageous, willing to take crazy risks, all for the sake of God's plan for his life. And so we've, we see this conversation, this interaction between he and God, and God gives them some instructions. And so what does Joshua do? He continues to pray about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Actually, that's not at all what it says. It says in verse 16, immediately, so Joshua arose early in the morning immediately, as soon as he understood what God was calling him to do, he immediately took the next step. Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near to the tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken. He begins to have this dialogue. He begins to tell them what God told him. And he says, we've got to do something about this. And they line everybody up and they're like, all right, who took the things that were under the ban that we were not supposed to take? There's accountability here. And listen, I just say this for myself, and I think this is true for all of us, there's, there's a discomfort that comes with accountability. There's so much value in accountability, though. This is one of the ways that I think we find the best version of ourselves in community, because we find community with people who are willing to hold us accountable to the plan that God is calling us to live in. And so it continues on. Look what it says. It says, then Joshua said to Achan, I mean, can you imagine the tension in this moment? I don't know where Achan was in this line, but he finally gets to Achan. And he's looking Achan in the eyes. And Achan knows what he's done. He knows that he's guilty. But notice what Joshua does. And I think this is so important for us to know in American Christianity, because we, we love to shoot the wounded. We love to, to take people out. We love to judge and condemn sometimes because it makes us uncomfortable. But he says, my son. Notice he doesn't say, you moron. He says, my son. I just sense this overwhelming grief and compassion that Joshua has for Achan, knowing that Achan potentially is the one who has brought this on to the people of Israel. He says, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And then look at Achan's response. So Achan answered Joshua and said, truly, I have sinned. And this is Maybe the most difficult step that we could ever take is to own up to our participation in trusting our plan over God's plan. 
It's dangerous, it's difficult. He says, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. And then he goes on to tell him, when I saw among the spoil, I mean, he's looking at Jericho and he's seeing gold and silver and all these things of so much value and worth. He says, I saw this beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them. I mean, you see the cycle of temptation and sin and downward spiral in our lives take place. He saw, so he coveted, and then he took. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver under it. Every single one of us are capable of taking the same step that Achan take. Achan comes clean. The passage goes on. Joshua tells Achan, this is the result of the misstep you've taken in failing to trust God with your life. And it's a devastating story because in this day and this religious tradition and custom in the people of Israel, it was required that they stone Achan and his entire family. Now that makes me really uncomfortable. But I don't want us to get stuck there because there is hope in this. But before we get there, I want us to think about what Achan has to do and what Joshua does. Joshua has to take a difficult step. He doesn't stay in his grief with his face to the floor. He rises up and he does exactly what God has called him to do, courageously, boldly taking the step, regardless of how difficult the step is to take. Oftentimes, when we begin to trust God's plan in our life, it requires that we do hard things. The hustle is hard sometimes. And oftentimes our mind can begin to take control. We can begin to think, you know what? I know that I'm not supposed to be participating in this or there, there's the, the toxic relationship. There's the, the, the addiction that is overwhelming. And you begin to think, well, I, I, I said I would never be this way. And then I fell back into it. And then I said I would never do it again. And I fell back into it. And you get in this place where you just start to feel like a failure. I like, mean, I don't know that I even wanna take that step anymore. What is the step? Is it a relationship that maybe you're hoping would be the one one day that you need to take a step away from now? And it's difficult. It's an opportunity to trust God's plan rather than your own plan. Maybe it's an area of secret sin that you haven't told anybody about. You've been concealing it in your tent. Maybe today is a day you take a step towards healing and recovery from that. I told you to text Best You 97,000 on that connection card. There's an opportunity to check a box there to get more information, to plug into a recovery group, a group of people in the struggle with you, helping you find freedom in the struggle, from the struggle. Maybe that's the next step that you are to take today. Joshua doesn't delay. Joshua takes the step courageously and boldly and does something that's incredibly difficult. Achan deceives himself. He assumed that he would probably never lose. And he finds himself in a place where he doesn't just lose, but he loses his life and it costs him the life of his family. Now that's devastating. He fell into the trap of trusting God's plan and trusted himself instead. It's kind of a bizarre story. But as Joshua does everything that he's supposed to do, he begins to experience victory again. Look what it says in chapter eight, verse one. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. He's saying, Joshua, stay confident. Keep that perspective right. Stay loyal, stay ambitious. I've got more for you. The best is yet to come. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go to Ai. See, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. He's saying, Joshua, we're not finished. Leads us to the last thing. It's simply this. You see this nobility in Joshua's life. 
this nobility. He's known. We, we started our time together talking about how his fame was known. And it wasn't his fame because of the name that he built for himself. It was because he had trusted the plan that God had for him in his life. The book of Joshua ends with this, Joshua 24, verse 29. Now it came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. I'm not sure there's a better thing that could be said about any one of us when our life on this earth comes to an end, then the servant of the Lord. That was Joshua's obsession. His obsession was God's plan for his life. He didn't always get it right, but his perspective was always right. And you see this. He dies as a servant of the Lord. He was always stirred and motivated for the fame of God to be known, not the fame of Joshua. He says that in verse nine. You see that at the end of verse nine in chapter seven. It says, And what will you do for your great name? What was Joshua's motivation? Not his own fame, not his own nobility. It was the nobility and the fame of his heavenly father. That was his obsession. Just to kind of wrap, I think, this time up, I could spend so much time just talking and reflecting about the life of Joshua. I've I've always been intrigued and consumed with it. I named my second son, his middle name is Joshua. And I think the reason why is because I desire so much to be like Joshua. But I think oftentimes I actually better identify with Achan. I struggle to maintain the perspective that God has for my life, the plans that God has for me. I begin to doubt those. I begin to think, you know what? Maybe I should take control. Sometimes my loyalty is shaken. There have been times where I've struggled to truly trust him. There's been times I've been fearful and um, weak in taking the step that God is calling me to take because it's difficult or it's scary and I'm not sure it's going to be worth it. And you see that with the life of Achan, but you don't see that with Joshua. I even struggle sometimes desiring to be famous for myself instead of making the name of Jesus famous. You see this in the life of Achan and it's dangerous. It's destructive, it's costly, ultimately leads us to death. So I want us to land today with communion. So when I ask you to take this out, you'll notice the bread is on the top and then you can take the second top off and you'll find the juice there, but don't, don't disconnect. I want you to listen as I think, as I just kind of land this for us today. Before we take communion, I want us to understand why Jesus commands us to take communion. Because he knows And he knew when he was with his disciples that night before he went to the cross, he knew they were gonna struggle to remember God's plan for their life. And so he said, hey, I need you to remember my body that's going to be broken, my blood that's gonna be poured out. I need you to remember that because there's gonna be times where you're gonna struggle to trust God's plan for your life, but I'm gonna give my life so that you can have a second chance at God's plan. And that's why we remember communion because without Jesus, Best case scenario for every single one of us is Aiken's story. But because of what Jesus did, a perfect man, no guilt, he took on death in my place, in your place, so that I would have an opportunity to not trust my plan anymore, but to live fully in God's plan. Let me show you what this means. Let me show you what this looks like. I've got here a scale to weigh food on. And you can measure things in grams. And so what I want us to see is, I think 
When I think about my plans, I think about what I want and what I want for myself. I wanna build up my kingdom. I fall into this trap sometimes of trying to accumulate things for myself, for my satisfaction, for my worth, for my prestige, for my honor, my security. And so I begin to find things in my life that I begin to find security in. So I just, I'll throw some money on here. It's not a lot of money. Just go ahead and throw my whole wallet on there. There's more though. There's got some hairspray. Because we, I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) We care about what we look like. And oftentimes we put all of our worth in what we look like. And so we need more product. We need more clothes. We need more shoes. We need all the things to, to make us feel better about the way that we look. And then sometimes we think about our abilities and our talents. And we think, oh, you know what, man, I'm, I'm going to keep building up my security. I'm going to trust my plans. I'm going to keep doing the things for me. And then, then we, uh, we decide, you know what? My car is a clunker. I need a new car. And so I'm going to get a new Camaro because that's pretty sweet. You know, that's, that's a sweet ride right there. But it makes me feel better about myself and the plans that I have for my life. And God, if you want to kind of help come along some of this and help me get the Camaro and just have some talent, some, some good hair, continues on. And we think about our kids and think about my two boys and who they are and man, I want them to turn out just right. I want them to turn out just the way that I'm planning for them to turn out. So it's all here and this is just kind of who we are. And then I'll take this and in this jar, I've got some screws and some busted glass just to kind of represent. These are some of the things that's just gonna happen in life that hurt, that are painful, that are ugly, that are messy, that, that linger. It all starts to add up and we begin to think this is, this is me, this is my life. And I can, I can legitimately tell you exactly how much this weighs, what the worth and the weight is of this in grams. And that's my plan. But this tells me something different. I'm gonna set this down. It tells me That's none of your business. (laughs) But here's what I want you to see. We can become so consumed with our plans and we can begin to feel so confident and secure and worthy with what we've accomplished. But you know what, If if I stood on this scale, it would crush it. Why? Because I was designed and you were designed for so much more than this. God's plan for you is so much greater. It's so much stronger. It's got so much more worth to it. He says who you are. None of these things do. You know what? I can take all of these things and I can begin to set them down on here. You know what? It doesn't even register. It's not even heavy enough. But this is what God has called us to. And it's not that any of these things are bad, but these things were never meant to bring our security and our worth and our value. This was not God's plan. He wants to use some of those things to accomplish his plan, but that's not his plan for us. And the reason I want us to think about that is because as we take communion, and that's the last thing we're gonna do, we're not gonna sing, we're gonna take communion, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna be out of here because I don't think there's a better thing we could do today than to simply remember Jesus and recognize what he did in our place so that we could have an opportunity to trust God's plan for our life with perspective, loyalty, 
ambition and nobility, not for my name, but for his name. So as we remember Jesus, we take the bread. And remember that it was his body that was given in our place to accomplish this for us. And then we remember that it was his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins because every single one of us have struggled to maintain perspective. Every single one of us have failed to be loyal. Every single one of us have failed to take that ambitious step at times in our lives. But what he did on the cross rescues me from that and gives me a second chance. And so we remember Jesus as we take the cup. More than anything today, what I desire for you and for me this week is that we would fully trust God's plan for our lives, that we would cross that line of faith, giving him full control, full surrender. Jesus, you call the shots in our lives. You pray with me. Just right there in your own space, I just want you to pray this prayer yourself. I just want you to think through these four things. Ask God right now, Just say, God, give me the perspective to see my life the way that you see it. Ask him that. Maybe you've never asked him that before. Just say, God, give me eyes to see myself and my future the way that you do. Then ask him to reveal anything in your life that he wants you to do, any steps he wants you to take in order to fully commit and trust him. Ask him that. Say, God, show me how to live. Show me how you want me to to live this week, this afternoon, the conversations that I have, the things that I do, the way that I spend my time. God, would you show me how to do that? Then ask him to give you courage and boldness to take those steps, to be ambitious. Ask him to give you that courage. Right now, just say, God, give me courage to do what you are calling me to do. And then ask him that he would make himself famous in the way that you live, that he would use your life to impact the lives of those around you. God, we love you. We trust you. Give us eyes to see. Show us how to live. Give us boldness to take the steps you're calling us to take, whatever that is. And would you make yourself famous? Would what happens here today not stay here, but would it go with us into the worlds that we live in? And we'll trust you there in Jesus' name, amen.